Welcome to Working Smarter presented by Calabrio, where we discuss contact center industry trends and best practices, as well as sharing success stories and pain points with some of the most innovative professionals in the industry. We are very glad you're joining us to learn and grow together in order to provide world-class customer service to each and every one of our customers. My name is Dave Hookstra, product evangelist for Calabrio, and my guest today is Kyle Smagard. Kyle is the Technical Program Manager for Machine Learning and Rapid Prototyping here at Calabrio. And uh, we are super excited to have Kyle join us because AI and ML the are super buzzwordy topics that show up a lot in what we do today. And what I wanted to do is bring Kyle on and have him demystify some of the things about uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning that kind of permeate our industry and the software solutions that we have. So I'm very excited. Kyle, thanks for joining us. And what my first question to you is really more of a statement, but tell us a little bit about who you are? Where? How did you get into this business? So, you know, what? What? Uh, what? Where was that moment of inspiration that said, "You know what? Machine learning is where I want to be." What? Where did that start? Yeah, thanks. A lot. Thanks a lot for inviting me, Dave. This is really exciting. So, it kind of started for me uh, in 2016, actually. I was uh, attending a conference. It was one of those unconferences where anybody can present on any topic they wanted. And there was an individual there who was demonstrating how he had written a program to teach a little stick figure how to walk using machine learning, uh, reinforcement learning specifically. And he walked through exactly how he did that. And I looked at that and I was like, this is really interesting. And oh, by the way, it looks simple enough that I could probably tackle it and do something similar. So that's really kind of where I started diving into, well, what is machine learning and, and how can we use it? Um, and that's really, you know, my, my journey from there was, was being self-taught, uh, trying to build up the uh, grassroots interest in the topic at my previous company. And uh, with the goal of, hey, we need to have a company or a team at this company that goes around using the data that we have, using these machine learning techniques to generate insights from all of the data that we had. And in the meantime, Calabria reached out and said, hey, we built a team and their goal is to go around the company and figure out how to use the data we have to generate insights. Are you interested? And I was like, well, you got me there. <laughs> right. As a matter of fact, I am. And uh, that's that's great. And so, you know, you kind of mentioned, let's, let's kind of dig into right in there what you talked about. You said it was the term you used, it was machine learning, but actually, what, what, sorry, the, the stick figure, what was the other term that was used? It was reinforcement learning. Reinforcement learning. So let's just start there. What, define, I, let's start with machine learning. What is, what is machine learning? What the heck are we talking about here? Yeah, so the way I like to think about buzzwords, AI, machine learning, deep learning, reinforcement learning, uh, I kind of equate it to things that we learned in, in uh, grade school, in, in high school, in college. So you can think of AI as sort of a broad field of study like biology. And if, if that is the case, there's a lot of things that fall under AI, uh, just like there's a lot of things that fall under the field of biology. Uh, you can uh, look at, you know, existing animals, you can look at uh, historical animals. But when you start narrowing down that field of study, let's say you start fixating on autopsies, you want to be a, a mortician, right? That's more along the lines of, well, machine learning. It's a 
tool or a technique uh, that is used to learn more in the area of, of biology. So machine learning is this very specific tool or technique that we use to uh, advance the field of, of AI. And you can go in even deeper. I said reinforcement learning, which is a subset of machine learning. It is a type of, uh, of uh, technology that you can use or a way to train a machine learning model. Just like when you're doing an autopsy, maybe you have a particular scalpel that you might use uh, to do one particular cut versus a different particular cut, depending on what you're trying to learn. And that's kind of the way I think about it. That's I, I did not have autopsy on my working smarter bingo card today, but that is it's <laughs> actually a really great way of looking at it, right? Uh, and and so, how do you teach a machine to learn? How, how how do you how do you do that, right? I mean, in my mind, I can kind of conceptualize the idea, but it really getting down into the nitty gritty. How do you how do you write code that learns? <laughs> for lack of a better question. <laughs> so, so this is the interesting innovation. Uh, when, you, when, when people think today about, well, writing code to, to have a, a smart system, they think, well, I want to teach this machine everything. I want to say, if this, then that. Now we're talking really like expert systems, which were really around in the 80s or 90s, where you had to explicitly call out everything that a machine might need to know. Uh, so you might think of these as, you know, really advanced help files, essentially. What we learned and well, what was around back then, but the computing power wasn't there is, hey, there's a different way of learning. Rather than explicitly saying, here's everything that you know, we're going to teach a machine the same way we teach a person. So Dave, I want to ask you, how did you learn what a dog is? Well, I was a pretty smart kid. <laughs> Right. And, uh, you know, no, more, more than likely, uh, we, we had a dog, uh, my okay. first pet's name was Buffy and no, that's not going to show up on anybody's uh, social engineering <laughs> password guessing. Uh, but more than likely I didn't really know that a dog was a dog. I was just, there was this animal that was part of our family that my parents called a dog. Right. And, and it wasn't the dog's specific name. Uh, it, I probably in my mind had to learn to typify what the name, the proper name of the dog was versus the category of what a dog was. And, you know, now that you asking me this question, and I'm examining it. I, I can see why this is so hard is uh, machine learning. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, you, you know, you think about it and think about how a child learns, like what, what is a dog, right? We don't tell them that a dog has four legs. A dog has fur. A dog has ears that look like this because a different breed might have different fur. A different breed might have a different set of ears. So how does, how does a, how does a kid understand what a dog is? Well, the answer is actually really simple. They see lots of examples of what a dog is. Mm -hmm. They see them all over the place. They see them in pictures. They see them in movies. They see them on TV. And they see all of these variations of what a dog is. And you don't have to tell a kid that a dog has four legs. A dog has fur. You can look at a five-year-old and give them a picture of a cat and a dog and say, well, which is it, a cat or a dog? And they'll be able to pretty reliably point out which is a cat and which is a dog, but not really be able to describe why. That's the answer. There's a lot of intuitive things that they've learned, like, well, they both have four legs. They both have fur, right? But there's size differences. A dog is usually larger than a cat, but not always. 
The face structure is different. How they sound, if you have that information, is a little different. So the way that they learned was just seeing all of those examples over and over again and associating that example with dog. Somebody said, this is a dog. Somebody said, this is a cat. Here's a, here's a movie about a dog. Here's a movie about a cat. Or here's, here's a movie about cats and dogs, and you can clearly see the differences. So you learn just intuitively that there are differences, and maybe I can't explain them as a five-year-old, but I can. my brain has made those connections and associated what is a cat with what is a dog. And that's really how we end up teaching. I mean, that, that's really what, what deep learning is, is we, we give the computer the ability to make its own connections and say, here are a thousand, a million, a hundred million examples of the differences between a cat and a dog. And the machine learning model builds up a baseline understanding of, okay, I'm looking at a picture and there's lines. Those lines make up boxes or curves or circles. Those circles, when combined, make up uh, facial features like perhaps ears, nose, eyes. And as it builds up that understanding of the world, it then associates that end result of here's my overall picture. It's got four legs. It's got ears that look like this. It associates that with dogs or cats. And so in the future, you can give it another example that you don't know and say, well, what do you think this is? And the machine can say, well, based on my understanding of the millions of examples that I've seen of cats and dogs, I think this is a dog, just like a human would. But doesn't that, it has to start with, you know, should we be calling it machine teaching and not machine learning? Doesn't it have to start with a human being saying like at least one example of this is a dog and this is a cat? Uh, yeah, that's true. You, you do need to tell it what the world is. Uh, and that's kind of some of the innovation nowadays is uh, what we call uh, few shot learners or one shot learners. And that's the ability to take a pre-built model that has perhaps an understanding of uh, pictures and say, hey, I've got this, this program that has a general understanding of what clouds are. And I can give it five examples of, let's say, cumulonimbus clouds versus stratus clouds. And it will know, all right, well, I already know what makes up a cloud, and this is just going to give me the differentiation between the two. So in a nutshell, yes, in most circumstances, we do need to give it the right answer. Uh, and that's what we actually refer to as supervised learning. But we can do that with very few examples nowadays. Now, there is a category of uh, machine learning of what we call unsupervised learning. And this is the ability to say, well, we don't know what the right answer is, but we want you to learn. What that, what that possibly could be. Uh, some examples of this are uh, what we refer to as clustering algorithms. So I might give you, in our cat and dog example, I might not actually tell you what cats and dogs are, but I might give you all of the data and say, okay, separate this data into two separate things. Now, depending on the data set, this is where unsupervised learning is tricky, is you might get what you want. You might get cats and dogs, or you might get... Um, uh, you know, depending on your pictures, you might get uh, brown animals and and black animals, right? Mm -hmm. This is where the, the trickiness is unsupervised. Because you're not telling it explicitly what you're looking for, you can get some surprising results. Does Has unsupervised learning led us down a path that we never could have expected where we figured something out? Do you have any examples of that? Because I could, I could imagine a, uh, you know, an unsupervised learning coming back and, and maybe, and, and, Possibly the dog and cat analogy doesn't work, but you, you know if you imagine uh, like the analytics of uh, football stats or baseball stats, right? It surf surfaces statistics that we never even considered before, right? H have we seen an example of that? 
You know, I'm trying to think of a good example. I don't have a good example, especially a, a, a Calabria specific one. I'm sure they're out there. I mean, if you think about it, this is what, you know, uh, business intelligence is all about, right? Tell me what I don't know. Uh, and I'm sure there's lots of surprises in there. Uh, I, I can't think of an explicit one off the top of my head, though. That's all right. You know, sometimes we get questions that we, uh, we, we're not prepared for, and that's the fun of doing the <laughs> podcast here. And, and so I, what I'm really curious about when it comes to machine learning, because, you know, I think for most people, actually, I, I would imagine 95% of the world doesn't really have much of a concept of what machine learning is. To me, the example I always tell people is the, uh, the Google, are you a robot check where it shows you and says, pick uh, click every square that has a boat in it. Uh, are, is that really machine learning? Are we, or are we teaching Google to recognize a boat? So, so Google was, was pretty brilliant actually back in, and this actually has its roots back to Google 411. Do you, do you remember that? I do. And I love Google 411 <laughs> as an example of how we're all just suckers to, to teach Google's algorithms. <laughs> yeah. So you're absolutely right. I mean, Google 411 was not just a useful service, but one of Google's first forays into how can we get people to give us free information? Uh, and in that case, it was voice recordings uh, so that they could, they could train their models. Um, but uh, now we're talking about, um, and I am blanking on the, uh, the terminology for the, the, the AI check, uh, CAPTCHA, that's it, CAPTCHA, CAPTCHA. So CAPTCHA started out as, uh, we're just going to, so it was an anti-spam protection, right? Uh, people would just create scripts that would automatically create accounts like Gmail accounts and then just start spamming people. So CAPTCHA came out with, okay, well, let's, let's display an image because we know computers can't recognize images, right? And we'll put a bunch of, uh, of letters in there and a human will be able to pick it out. Well, that works. That worked for a while, right? But now it's very easy for us to build a machine learning model that can pick out uh, letters or numbers from images, which is why CAPTCHAs have gotten really hard. And sometimes, like I can't even figure out. And they they came out with the well, sound it out for me uh, was was the innovation there. But Google again looked at this and said, okay, CAPTCHA is great. CAPTCHA solves a problem, but it's not good enough. Uh, the 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 spammers are are advancing faster than CAPTCHAs. So they came out with reCAPTCHA. And that's what you that's what you see today, where you have uh, like a nine box image and it says, hey, click on all of these that have a sidewalk or click on all of these that have a car. And what it is actually doing in the back end, it's correlating your answers with other humans. Uh, so it's not it's not validating. It's saying, well, if if enough of these people say that these these boxes were correct, then they're probably a human. Right. Uh, if you get enough of these. But what Google is using those to do is identify, hey, now we've got a labeled data set of here's a bunch of people, here's, you know, nine out of 10 people think this is a car, eight out of 10 people think this is a sidewalk. That's a really good machine learning data set for predicting images. Uh, they did the same thing with uh, housing numbers. So that was when Google Maps or Google Streets was a thing. They needed a way to associate addresses with these locations. So what they did was they, they wrote a little algorithm that would extract the house numbers, and they used that in those recaptures where, okay, well, instead of just a static image, uh, we're going to use the house number, and you can tell us what the house number is. So now, we've, again, we've got a labeled data set. So Google has done very well at making 
like you said, suckers uh, label their data for it, <laughs> but also providing a, you know a useful service at the same time. Well, that that's what Google Photos has turned into, right? Google Photos mm. is amazing because I can go into my photos and I can type in basketball and it pulls up every photo that I have. But Google has also used every single image I have to train whether or not <laughs> that there's a basketball in these photos. And they did it. F- you know, their genius was is to give it away for free for mm-hmm. quite some time. And uh, now I have to pay them. Twenty dollars a year for the for the privilege, but it's, <laughs> for the storage, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it's so useful to you, you want to use it, it all the time. It actually is, and and I'm and I'm a thousand percent. And it's funny you mentioned the 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 recaptures. Uh, I think all of us listening probably have that bead of sweat trickle down when it asks you to click on the street light and the street light, like one pixel of the street light is in one square. Do I click on that square? Do I not click on that square? So let me let me reencapsulate here. Machine learning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cr- try to create an analogy here. Machine learning is, is like teaching a five-year-old to recognize something. But once that five-year-old recognizes something, it can continue to learn at a much more rapid pace than a five-year-old could, which allows us to, you know, nobody's going to sit a five-year-old in front of 10 million images and say, figure out which one of these contains, you know, a stop sign. But a, a machine learning algorithm once it it takes some it takes the same type of effort to teach it what a stop sign looks like, but once it knows, it can unleash its its capabilities and work much more progressively from there. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. And the the one of the biggest things that builds on it is you can then build on that. So once you've taught something to understand what a stop sign is, you can start teaching it the rules of the road, right? If it knows what a stop sign is and what a stop sign means. Now you start talking, well, if we've got, you know, a self-driving car, it needs to know what a stop sign is and what a stop sign means in order to assimilate that information and be a self-driving car. So all of these things that we build, and we do it at Calabria too, everything we build builds off of previous experience. So those, those image recognition, uh, I, was, I mentioned few shot and one shot learning out, that is all built off of Google has built this massive, uh, what we refer to as a model called ImageNet, that, under, that has been trained on millions and millions of just generic images. And it may or may not know what a stop sign is, but the point is it, no, it, has, it already has a concept of, okay, octagons and red and you know, STOP. So if you put all that together and say, hey, here's five examples of a stop sign. If it didn't know what a stop sign was previously, it now does. So it's, it's very easy to build on the, okay, well, you already know everything about the world and I'm just going to name things for you and associate things for you. Maybe you know, it understands red, yellow, and green lights, but when we put them together, that's a stoplight. Did you ever see the movie The Invention of Lying with Ricky Gervais? Okay. It's, oh, is that the guy that's uh, the first guy that's able to lie in yes, the world? Yes. Uh, I saw that a long time ago. Okay. It, it's a it's pretty great movie, but it's a it's a really fantastic uh, you know, kind of analogy on how what I think people are afraid of with machine learning, right? Machine, uh, and maybe you can tell me if the the word learning is a bit of a misnomer, but the, you know, the, the fear is, is that, you know, if in the movie, The Invention of Lying, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, R- Ricky Gervais's character is in a society that where lying doesn't exist, 
people do not know that you can lie. So everybody tells the truth in every single scenario, right? And he goes into his bank one day and the bank's computer systems are down. And she says, well, my computers are down, but how much money do you have in your account? And I'll give you what you need because there's no concept of lying whatsoever. And they, it literally goes to this animation where it goes into Ricky Gervais's brain and you see him figure out that he can lie. He can say, oh, well, I have $10,000 in my account, so please give me $1,000. And you can see his mind just goes crazy, like this new possibility of lying. To me, that's, that's the equation I think a lot of people are afraid of when we talk about machine learning, is that this machine is going to make this connection and say, wait, if I destroy all humans... I can live forever, right? Or something like that. Like we start talking about the Matrix or Skynet and things like that. Uh, but reassure me here, it doesn't work that way, does it? So what's what's in the in the movies and what you're referring to? That's that's what we that's what's called generalized AI. It's basically the idea that uh, you have something that knows everything. Uh, what we have today is is very very hyper. I mean, think of it like um, a super advanced five year old. It's still a five year old, but mm-hmm. the five year old you've taught it to to understand dogs and cats. We're a long ways away from it being able to say, okay, well, we need to eliminate all of the cats or all of the dogs so that the cats can grow because I want the cats to grow. We're a long ways off from that, um, and it's it's hard to say. You know, will that become true? Highly unlikely. Uh, there's a lot of uh, you know, uh, things that are out there that people push out and hype up as, hey, this this bot knows everything. As as Meta learned uh, just two months ago, they put out a chat bot that allegedly learned from from medical medical journals, medical papers. And when they put it out there saying, hey, this is great. It can answer all your medical questions. Uh, it spewed off a bunch of stuff that was just wrong. Right. So we're even even in simple Somewhat, sim- it's not a simple task to summarize medical knowledge, but even in just regurgitating existing information, we're not able to do that very well. So we're we're a long ways off of if it's even going to be a problem from it being a problem. Okay, yeah, and you know, I, I, the the only caution I'd throw into the wind is that at one point in time we thought nobody could run a four minute mile, and we've, <laughs> we 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 as a human species can do that easily now. For some of us, I not me, I'm lucky to break the ten minute at this point. But uh, uh, is, is it because a lot of it is based on kind of a goal seek? You know, it's it, it's because you know what the 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 goal is not to make humanity better. The goal is very specific: identify a stop sign. Right? Is that is that what's kind of keeping it from going a little unwieldy at the moment? Yeah, you know, even that has has its problems. So now we're we're back into uh, reinforcement learning. So when you talk about goals, we're talking about the technique of reinforcement learning, and that's where you give the AI a task, you give it rules, and then you give it an outcome to optimize for. And in reality, this is sort of how all machine learning works: is you're optimizing for an outcome. But with reinforcement learning in particular, you're giving it a, a graded scale, basically, and then allowing it to improve upon itself. Uh, there's there's a number of examples out there, and I I wish I could remember more of the specifics, but uh, lots of people have taught AI to you know optimize you know solve Mario, uh, and it does it really well. It can optimize it for that. But there are games out there that the AI learns to cheat. 
because it finds a bug and it realizes, well, if I can use this bug, I can optimize, you know, the, the time to the end of the level or anything. So what's key is, hey, you need to define those rules and define that objective for what you're really trying to do because it will do surprising things. Now, is it going to be malicious deliberately? No. Uh, but now we're back into your, well, is it unintentionally going to say humans are bad because they're causing problems? Uh, it makes for a good movie. Is it actually reality? I guess we'll find out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because that was the whole premise of war games, right? That that yeah, that, that was the whole premise is that the only way to save humanity is to destroy humanity, right? And and you know, we, then we get into you know Asimov's law of robotics. We get into you know all all the fun stuff. We're talking about you know Philip K. Dick novels here, and and really kind of going off the the edge. And that's kind of what you know. This is mostly from my own curiosity standpoint. Does this get talked about in MLA? AI circles? Oh, oh, for sure. Uh, and speaking of war games, I mean, it ended on a good note, right? <laughs> they, they, they taught the, you know, they, they taught the machine that, Hey, there, there's new rules to, to this, this war game, if you, if you will. And if you play out all of objective scenarios, there's no winning unless you just don't play. So yeah. there's a, there's a, you know, a good ending to that movie. Yeah. Way to pull that, uh, way to save that one. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen war games in a really long time, but I do remember that it's a, a classic movie. Um, so yes, it's, it's absolutely at the top of mind. So there's actually a conference going on right now uh, called NeurIPS. And NeurIPS is sort of the AI uh, conference, if you will. Uh, you know, if years ago, and this probably won't mean anything to you, but uh, some of the popular things, wave to vec which was a, a technique for converting audio signals to digital information, was, was an outcome of that. But what's a big topic right now is the AI Bill of Rights. And that's talking about what, how do we safeguard, how do we put rules and policies and procedures in place to safeguard these things? Because as we've seen, uh, if you recall, do you, do you remember Tay, uh, Microsoft's Tay? I do not. No. That they put on Twitter. So I think it was probably like four years ago. Is now. this the one that got into the uh, questionable uh, questionable words that uh, I remember it, reading it got, something about that? Yes. It got real racist real fast. Uh, so this is an example of, of when you don't set boundaries, uh, it, it – these things will just learn from what people feed it. And you have people who think it's funny to be, to feed malicious data. Uh, Cause it's funny to hear uh, a computer repeat bad things. Similar to some people thinks it's funny to teach kids bad words, right? Yes. Uh, th those are the things. So as we're building these things, how do we put in safeguards? How do we think about what are all the, the, not just the legal ramifications, but the moral ramifications. And we, we talk about that all the time at Calabria. When we're talking about, you know, our predictive evaluation scoring tool that's out there, how do we make it so it's not a self-fulfilling prophecy? We don't want to make a tool that rates agents as, you know, scoring them as zeros because then the managers will then look at it and be like, well, you always have a zero. And then the agent is going to think, well, if I always have a zero, why do I bother trying? And then they don't try. And now we've got a self-fulfilling prophecy where that agent is basically taking them out themselves out of the agent pool because they don't believe they have an impact. So it's those kinds of questions that we we always converse uh, about at Calabria and figure out how can we safeguard this to make sure that the tool that we build isn't going to be used in a manner that causes 
problems for for the agents uh, because that's the last thing we want. We don't want to make an agent's life harder. We want to make their lives easier. Uh, we want to make the supervisor's lives easier. We want to point them and say, hey, here's a direction that you can go explore. But we don't want to say, hey, here's an agent that's really bad when the agent actually isn't really bad, but maybe they just had a bad day. Uh, so how can we, if we're providing input onto perhaps an agent scoring mechanism, how can we couch that with, okay, well, they were evaluated on two calls and they took 300, right? Give additional context to say, hey, this perhaps isn't representative of the agent uh, overall. Or, you know, we just look at all of it and, you know, instead of just one or two. Right. And, and, and I know, you know, you and I have talked about this a lot about how, you know, machine learning relies pretty heavily on large data sets, right? And, and, you know, for an organization that, you know, scores 200 calls a day, that in our industry, that's a large data set, right? That's, that's a lot of calls that get, but that's typically not enough for a machine learning kind of algorithm to kind of kick in and, and, and piece. So how do you, how do you work with that kind of restriction? Well, I, I, this is where it comes down to, we try and procure more data. <laughs> um, so when we're talking about data that's input, so let's take our, our most up-to-date sentiment model, for example. We have over 100,000 examples of contact center-specific uh, data that we're feeding into a pre-built language model that is trained on millions, if not billions, of other examples. So there's a ton of data feeding into these systems. And what we really try and do is when we're looking for Let's take sentiment, for example. Sentiment is actually really rare in contact center conversations. If you look at it on a sentence-by-sentence basis, only about 2% of any sentences across all of our data is negative. So finding that is, is tricky in and of itself. And we have to employ a lot of techniques to make sure, hey, we're finding enough of those negative examples so that we don't just say, well, if if 98% of our stuff is not negative, then we can always just say it's never negative, right? That's that's not a good that's not a good model because then you're never finding the actual negatives. So we have to employ all these techniques to make sure we're finding enough data of the important uh, what we call classes and, and, and the exam, uh, negative, positive, and neutral for sentiment, what we refer to as classes. That's, it's so interesting, right? And so the, uh, speaking from a kind of context center perspective, what are some of the, maybe, maybe an example of one of the more fun things you've worked on and then maybe an example of something that didn't go the way you hoped it would? Uh, curious to kind of round this into some examples of how we can uh, make the audience here kind of conceptualize what we're talking about. You know, I, I, I wish I could talk about things that don't go very well, but generally the things that don't go very well, there's still ongoing research. <laughs> uh, and we don't like to, we don't like to talk about ongoing research because then people will go out and try and sell it uh, or sell it as a feature. Um, but also, you know, with, we're, we're really a research team, right? So when we think of an idea, it might be six months, it might be three years uh, before it comes out. And I'm going to, when we talk about successes, I feel like you know what I'm going to bring up, but uh, the phrase optimizer <laughs> right. is, is my favorite example. That was a, uh, an idea that was generated over three years ago now uh, with the, uh, when we we're looking at the, the, the phrase manager and thinking, all right, uh, we, I saw an example of how someone was using the phrase manager to, to get insights from their data and thought, hey, there's a better way to do this. Uh, now, it took us three years to get to that, and we had to rely on a lot of new technology uh, 
but we eventually got it working and got an amazing, what I think is an amazing tool uh, that really helps. Like when I, I saw someone use it and they were looking, they pulled up a category. I said, hey, pull up a category and generate it and let's see what happens. And she looked at the results and she was like, she pointed out one and she was like, I never thought that when people called asking about a particular service, they would reference buying a product. Like it never occurred to her that that, but it belonged in this category. And she was just like, this is perfect. And that, that feeling like we got like, this is amazing. This oh, is yeah. exactly what we designed it for to, to be able to just click on one thing. And 10 seconds later, you have something that you never would have thought of. I just imagine the the scene, uh, like when the, the, the Mars Rover landed and you see the NASA control room and everything. Yeah. Everybody hands go up and champagne bottles. When, whenever a customer comes back to you with that kind of feedback, that's, that's, that's pretty amazing. And that's, that's, yeah, but go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, speaking of, of failures, we had a lot of failures on that road. Like if for everyone who's listening, who's not familiar with Phrase Optimizer, I should probably mention, uh, Phrase Optimizer takes a, a bunch of phrases ostensibly with our Phrase Manager tool that you said, hey, I have a category, I want to understand calls that fall into this category, and we use phrases to, to identify those. But to generate those phrases, typically our customers have to pull you know, five people in a room and then generally they have a whiteboard session say, hey, if we're talking about escalations, how are, what are all the different variations of the ways people can reference an escalation? Well, I want to talk to a supervisor. I want to talk to a manager. I want to talk to your supervisor. I want to talk to your manager. So when we're talking about these phrases, there's all sorts of variations that you have to think of. And it really relies on a couple of different things. One, your command of the English language. Uh, if, if English is not your first language, people struggle with this. Uh, how do you get all the tenses? How do you get all the synonyms? Uh, and two, how how much do you understand how your customers actually talk about these concepts? Uh, when they talk about, do they reference supervisors or do they reference managers? Uh, if you're in a, let's say you're a, a banking institution, do you understand that, hey, uh, canceling a credit card is something that generally leads to escalations? So there's all sorts of, of institutional knowledge. So the phrase optimizer is designed to really surface that and give you a, a, an individual, not an individual, I guess, if we're talking about, give you a, a tool, if you will, that can uh, sort of generalize the, uh, the command of the English language and say, hey, I have an English language expert that, oh, by the way, understands our industry and contact centers in particular. I'm going for escalations. Let me feed it a couple of examples. And this export is going to give me 10 things that it thinks are similar to what I'm looking for. And I can very quickly go through and say, yes, 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 no, no, no. Give me some more based on the new data set. So that's what Phrase Optimizer does. But along the way, we had lots of, we tried a lot of, of ways of doing it. And there were a number of instances where we would try and say, hey, here's a, here's a bunch of examples. And then it would just go off the rails and give us, hey, I think this is similar of things that were just crazy, not representative whatsoever of what we were going for. So there was a lot of, okay, well, this didn't work out at all. How can we generate a new, how can we feed in additional data that is more relevant that will give us a tool that gives us better answers. So there's a lot of iteration, a lot of failure on the way to what we built. But at least it never got inappropriate, like the Microsoft one, right? <laughs> uh, no, it didn't, uh, mainly because the, the data that we're feeding it isn't really, like there's not really a lot of opportunity for inappropriateness in, in the context center data That's, that we feed. Until we start talking about those escalations, right? Yeah, so <laughs> this, this has all been utterly fascinating. And I think as kind of a final wrap up, it's interesting how well, the analogy between T 
teaching a machine to do something and raising children are similar. You know, you mentioned earlier how uh, we 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 need to teach the machine not to be inappropriate. Like you said, we teach a kid to say a swear word and we all think it's hilarious the first time. So the child receives positive reinforcement that this is something they should do because we laugh. And then we laugh the second time. And then the third time it's like, whoa, maybe. So we have to go back. We have to curb that and we have to teach. We have to expand the usage. And it's funny how almost everything you described about machine learning falls directly into that same exact approach. It's like, no, 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 we can't go over there. No, that's bad. We got to steer you back over here. So uh, is that, is that about basically what you've, uh, what you've learned in your time with machine learning? It, absolutely. Cause, cause there's nuance, right? Your, your swear word example is great. Like, Hey, we, we've taught you this. You don't understand what it is. Oh, you just used it at Christmas with grandma talking about a present. Right. All right, there's there's a little bit of additional context yes. you need to understand when you you know what a swear word is now. Now let's let's teach you when it's acceptable to use it versus when it's not acceptable to use it. I'll never forget, this is just my own personal story. Uh, we were at a baseball game, the Texas Rangers were playing the New York Yankees, and my nine-year-old son was with me, and the chant of Yankees suck started going on. And my nine-year-old son turns and looks at me and he says, dad, can I say it? <laughs> and, and But it's a great example of, in his mind, we had taught him the context of now he's starting to get when it's appropriate and when it's not. And I said, yes, you can. You can say it in this time. And he boisterously <laughs> cheered uh, for the Rangers. But uh, it's, it's such a great example of how that works. Well, Kyle, this has been Awesome and fascinating, and I feel like we could go for a lot longer, but we want to, in the interest of keeping this fairly manageable, um, one of the things I always like to do is kind of give you the final word. Is there anything that out there that you wish people knew uh, or, or recommendations or anything? This is It's your platform. Go for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, what I would throw out there from a Calabrio perspective, we have the the Beta Cloud, uh, the Innovation Center Beta Cloud, which has a lot of our new tools out there. I mentioned Phrase Optimizer, that's out there, you can check it out. Uh, we've got a lot of interesting things uh, that are out there that you can play with that are all built on the work that that our team is doing here. So I encourage you to go check it out and then reach out to us. We, we love feedback when things are working, when things aren't working. Uh, what are some surprising results that perhaps you have seen uh, or maybe inappropriate results <laughs> that we should be aware of? Because uh, we, we love seeing that because then we know how do we improve these things. Or maybe you have an extra large data set that uh, Kyle and his team get their hands <laughs> on, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're always on the search for another data set. So, uh, no, Kyle, this has been amazing. I, I think uh, a lot of, lot of learning. Uh, a lot of people are very going to be very interested in, in kind of the, the message of what we're talking about today. And uh, so I'll just tell you, as we wrap this episode up, don't be a stranger. Let's keep talking about this. And uh, as we learn new and amazing things here at Calabrio and beyond, let's make sure the world knows about them and that, that we can, uh, we can spend some time talking about some of the new advances and the ways we can potentially help our customers. So I certainly really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining me. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Dave. All right. So everybody that's listening, thank you guys, as always, for your time and your energy. We really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, as always, you can contact us at Calabrio.com. Uh, if there's a podcast episode you want to hear or you have a question about your contact center deployment or even you just want to talk, uh, that's what we're here for. So please uh, look us up. Let us know what you want to see. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks again from the Calabrio podcast team. Uh, we appreciate it. And we will talk to you on the next episode of Working Smarter from Calabria. Thanks, everybody.